Hello loves, my name is Nelson. I am deeply grateful to be with you again, even through a screen, and to have another chance to open up the scriptures with you. Uh, tonight, I, I just got to pause and give shouts to Chris Milani and Scott, Mc, uh, Scott Oliver McTaggart. Scott often uses my middle name. I'm not really sure why, so I wanted to reciprocate tonight. Scott Oliver McTaggart, Chris Milani, who have not only thought through the setup in this space uh, for these home liturgies, but have done a whole bunch of work to uh, getting it um, to work. And so really grateful to you guys. Thank you. Um, also, shouts to Caleb Ford, who is usually on camera uh, for this season of filming our, our home liturgies, but whose wife went into labor at the, uh, the morning of the shoot today. And so tonight, shouts to Greg Gillespie for stepping in. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I am continually in awe of these talented humans and grateful for their gifts. And I just wanted to sing their praises for a brief moment. Speaking of praises. Segway. See what I did there? Um, <laughs> masterful segue. <laughs> if you don't think so, I'm sorry. That's all I've got. But we are continuing on our Praying the Psalms series. And tonight, I want to talk about the theme of praise. Tonight or this morning, if you happen to be watching this Sunday morning. It's definitely dark behind me, and we're shooting in the evening. Full disclosure. Um, did you know that the verb to praise, Hallel, in its noun form is actually the title of our prayer book, Book of Praises? is the Hebrew title given to the 150 prayers that we typically, typically call the Psalms. Um, Psalms, which is the title that we find in our English translations, is from the Greek psalmoi, meaning songs. So if you look closer at the Psalms, you spend more time there, you may begin to wonder whether this Hebrew title is actually the best fit. You're not alone. Eugene Peterson said it like this. This title praises catches our attention because it's inaccurate. Most psalms are complaints. They are calls of help. By helpless and hurting men and women, they are wrung out of desperate conditions. How can it be appropriate then to name these prayers praises? Is this false advertising? An attractive smile pasted on the cover of a book that contains a lot of pain, doubt, and trouble. Does the title, in order to involve us in might, what might otherwise repel, misrepresent the basic nature of prayer as something more pleasant than the data of daily experience warrants? A spoonful of sugar to help the medicine go down. Is the title a pious deceit? What a great question. And after realizing myself the kind of stuff that's actually in the Psalms, I read this and went, Amen, Brother Eugene, the title seems off. You are onto something. Is the title a pious deceit? And Peterson goes on to answer his own question. <coughs> Praises as a title is not statistically accurate, but it is accurate just the same. It is accurate because it accurately describes the end, the finished product. All prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry or fearful the experiences it traverses ends up in praise. It does not always get there quickly or easily. The trip can take a lifetime, but the end is always praise. Praises, in fact, is the only accurate title for our prayer book, for it is the goal that shapes the journey. The end is where we start from. So praise is an element of many psalms, including most laments. 
But as, as uh, Uncle Eugene acknowledges, it doesn't always happen overnight or without a struggle. But in the majority of cases, it gets there eventually. So one reason I kind of wanted to wait until later in the series to focus on praise is that it makes sense chronologically. Most of the praise psalms are in the back half of the book. So in fact, we could say that the psalms are sort of like the mullet of scripture. But instead of business in the front and party in the back, it's lament in the front and praise in the back. So you're welcome. This is the shape of the psalms. And in many ways, this is the shape of the journey of faith. So what do we make of Peterson's claim that all prayer pursued far enough becomes praise? Or to put it another way, praise is the telos of a praying life or the trajectory, the end goal. Praise is the telos of a praying life. Is that really the case? Could it be so for us? Let's pray and ask for the Spirit's help as we look at praise together. Lord, tonight we simply open our hearts and imaginations to hear what you have for us. And as we open the scripture together, we invite your spirit to speak, um, to make known what it is you're desiring to open in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. One of my favorite TV characters of all time is one played by Rob Lowe on Parks and Rec. His name is Chris Traeger. And if you haven't seen the show, Chris Traeger is the definition of an eternal optimist. He's always happy. He's upbeat. He's finding the good in situations and people, no matter what comes his way. This is a guy who will work tirelessly to find the bright side. Someone summarized Chris Traeger best by creating a meme out of this image with his two thumbs up that says, literally incapable of downvoting. Chris Traeger is a funny character because he takes a type and pushes it to the extreme. And I'm not sure if you know anyone exactly like this, but chances are good you know someone who Chris Traeger reminds you of. If you've ever met my mom, Carol Boschman, you know that she usually has this big smile on her face. She greets you with a sing-songy voice. Oh, hi. She's highly curious. She's interested in what's going on in your life. She's quite relentlessly positive. When my wife, Terry, first met my mom, she's like, there's no way anyone is like that. (laughs) She's kept saying that over and over again, but it didn't take long to realize that, no, this is actually who Carol Boschman is. Terry's initial response to my mom, like most of our responses to the Chris Traegers of the world, was a mix of cynicism, incredulity, and some laughter. We carry a deep suspicion of people who are always happy and smiling and optimistic, or worse, singing. Like, what are you not telling me? Or what are you compensating for? The ceaselessly upbeat are those who tend to deal out compliments and praise generously without reservation and seemingly without favoritism. And when the rest of us experience this or too much of it, we're prone to label it as flattery or manipulation or even seduction. And there are times when we're right, or at least partly right, but it's also possible that the praise is authentic, that, it, that a compliment is genuine and not secretly self-serving. So I sometimes wonder if our skepticism of empty praise too often silences true praise. If our skepticism of empty praise too often silences true praise. So what is praise? According to the scriptural witness, take a brief look with you at a few texts, beginning with Isaiah 43, verses 19 to 21. See, I am doing a new thing. 
Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. Love this passage. And this last verse, 21, speaks of God redeeming Israel, forming them as a people for God's self. To say it another way, praise lies at the heart of our vocation as humans, made in God's image. In response to what exactly? Well, that varies within the scriptural witness. But in this instance, it's God creating newness, a way in wilderness, streams in wasteland. We are called to praise, to give honor to the God who makes possibility where only impossibility exists. And friends, let's not miss how not just humans are called to the work of praise. Jackals and owls and every wild animal in creation join in as well. Way to the back, 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It's another text. But you, writes Peter, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So here we have the Apostle Peter reminding us who we are in Christ and because of Christ. All these incredible titles, chosen, royalty, holy, God's own instruments in the world to do God's work, to speak for God, to tell stories of transformation and belonging and acceptance. A few pages over in Revelation, John's vision includes this breathtaking scene. Revelation 5, verse 11, Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. This is a picture of the future vocation of God's people, to, to sing praise to God and to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Beginning to end, the people of God, along with the entire created order, are called to the work of praise. We've bounced around the Bible a bit here, but for the next few minutes, I want to drop anchor in a single verse from a psalm to consider briefly the why of praise. The verse is Psalm 147, verse 1. I'll read it from the message. Hallelujah. It's a good thing to sing praise to our God. Praise is beautiful. Praise is fitting. In this verse, a simple verse, we, three, we see three main pra- uh, reasons to praise God. First, it's a good thing. <laughs> praise is good. Good, the Hebrew is tov. Better best, agreeable, admirable, honorable, satisfying, welcome. 
How is it good? In what sense? Who is it good for? I want to suggest praise is primarily good for us. There's this modern worship song back from 2002 that was pretty popular in its day. It's called Blessed Be Your Name, written by Matt Redman. You know the one. One of the lyrics that always stands out to me is, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. I don't know how that lyric lands on you, but there were times when we used to sing this much more frequently, but I'd hear it and go, really? Really, you're that good at not only counting your blessings, but also turning every single one into a response of praise. Okay. More recently, I came across this quote. Whatever you don't turn into praise turns into pride. I thought about that for a while, and it occurred to me that I don't know if I agree fully with that, but maybe I was missing the point about the Redmond lyric. That even though turning every blessing from God into a praise song is probably not possible, this is the direction our hearts ought to be pointing in. Sometimes the words that we put in front of ourselves to sing to God are more aspirational than actual. They're more about expressing intent and desire. They're an admission that we are not naturally good at turning every blessing God pours out into praise. And so we ask for help. Tune my heart to sing your grace. And that's okay. And then I thought about what I tend to do rather than turn the gifts and blessings of God into a praise response. Sometimes I'm just inattentive. I'm not making a practice of acknowledging divine presence or not noticing what God might be doing. There's other times that I might be noticing, but I'm, I'm just unreceptive and non-responsive. I'm, I'm numb to it. Or I might be carrying whatever. <laughs> the stuff of life. Frustration about something or something difficult's happened and so I'm suspicious of anything someone else might call good. What makes it hard for you to turn divine blessing into praise? I invite you to sit with that question at some point this week. What makes it hard? What could you name? Albert Einstein said there are two ways to live your life. One as though nothing is a miracle and the other as if everything is a miracle. Praise is good for us because it reminds us that there's nothing we have that we haven't been given. Praise is good because it directs our heart toward the true source of all life. Another why of praise, praise is beautiful. Praise is beautiful. Other translations use the word pleasant. The Hebrew is naim. Beautiful, charming, gracious, attractive, delightful, engaging, likable, musical, pleasurable. So how is it beautiful to praise God? Well, the psalmists talk over and over again about singing praises. Psalm 150, the culminating psalm, takes half its space to name all the instruments it can possibly imagine. Let's just hear that brief psalm together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord.
praise the Lord. Remember going to the symphony? Did you know that when global pandemics aren't happening, you can pay as little as $25 to sit in one of the most beautiful rooms in the city and listen to a group of 70 or so of the most accomplished musicians on the planet create beauty for your enjoyment? Whether it's the VSO at the Orpheum, Jenny Benet at the Biltmore, Latin Jazz Orchestra in David Lamb Park, there is something about music, instruments, and voices that makes the work of praise beautiful. Here's a question. Does God need or require praise to be beautiful? We don't have time for a deep dive into a philosophical discussion on beauty, although I'd love to be part of that. And when it comes to music, we've all got different tastes, we've got different definitions of what qualifies as beautiful. But there's no question that there is a universal quality to music. It has a power to unite, to bring large numbers of people together. Think of the enduring popularity of music festivals. Oh, festivals. <laughs> miss festivals. Will you join me in a thought experiment for a moment. Recall a recent experience of what you would consider beautiful music. Maybe it was just this morning. Maybe in your earbuds on a walk or a run this past week, maybe a pre-COVID concert memory, maybe a live stream event sometime even recently. Whatever it is, take a moment, even now, to reflect on what you appreciated about it. What drew you in to that experience? What made you want to keep listening and not turn it off? If you're on the YouTube premiere, as you're watching now, feel free to blow up the chat with some comments or press pause momentarily to talk with whomever might be with you. Or if there's a shared experience that's coming to mind, maybe text someone later today. Hey, remember that time we saw Radiohead at Thunderbird Stadium and it was pouring rain and it was unbelievable? Three guesses what I'm remembering. Think about what you think of as beautiful music opens up in you. What does it open in you? Let me ask the question again. In order to count as praise, does God need it to be beautiful in some objective sense? I don't think so, but we do. We do. We need beauty to keep drawing us in, to keep reminding ourselves of why it's so much better to praise God instead of turn in on ourselves. Why else would the psalmist go so over the top in enlisting the work of all these instruments. Last reason, praise is fitting. Praise fits. Fitting, Nahweh. Lovely, beautiful, applicable, apt, becoming, desirable, do, just what was ordered, proper, right on. That's the ticket. It fits like all the shipping containers behind me. I tell you, friends, the Port of Vancouver is a mesmerizing thing to watch. It's so ordered. Everything works. Everything fits. I love the word fitting. When something fits well, it's great. A pair of jeans, a pair of shoes, a song at a wedding, good wine with a good meal, a tribute to someone, a scene in a film. I think of the beginning of The Lion King when all the animals bow down. It's fitting. For whom is praise fitting? Both God and humans. 
an often repeated phrase in liturgical church settings, it is, it is, it is right to give thanks and praise. It's right, fits, it's proper. So how do we learn this? What might it look like for us to become a people of praise? As we prepare to come to the Lord's table together, I want to end with some words from one of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, and just share what he wrote about praise. I just love it. I've quoted this before, quite possibly in a sermon in your hearing, uh, but it's been a little while, I think, so I want to offer this. Frederick Buechner on praise. You praise the heartbreaking beauty of opera singer Jesse Norman singing the music of Richard Strauss. You praise the new puppy for making its offering on the lawn for once instead of the living room rug. Maybe you yourself are praised for some generous thing you've done. In each case, the praise that is handed out is a measured response. It's a matter of saying something to one degree or another complimentary, with the implication that if Jesse Norman's voice had sprung a leak or the puppy hadn't made it outside in time or your generous deed turned out to be secretly self-serving, a different sort of response altogether would have been called for. The way the Psalms describe it, praising God is another kettle of fish altogether. It's about as measured as a volcanic eruption. The whole of creation is in on the act. The sun and moon, the sea, fire and snow, Holstein cows and white-throated sparrows, old men in walkers, and children who still haven't taken their first step. Their praise is not chiefly a matter of saying anything, because most of creation doesn't deal in words. Instead, the snow whirls, the fire roars, the Holstein bellows, the old man watches the moon rise. Their praise is not something that at their most complimentary they say, but something that at their truest they are. We learn to praise God not by paying compliments, but by paying attention. Watch how the trees exult when the wind is in them. Mark the utter stillness of the great blue heron in the swamp. Listen to the sound of the rain. Learn how to say hallelujah from the ones who say it right. In learning the art of paying attention, the psalmists are good teachers. As you continue praying them, particularly the praise psalms, may you notice what they notice and then add what you are noticing. Who does scripture say God is? Who has God been for you in this season? Jesus is our best teacher in this. Praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. To say your will be done is to align ourselves entirely with God's purposes, and this is the essence of praise. So friends, may you remember that the work of praise is the vocation of everything that has breath. Your voice is needed in the choir. Your voice is beautiful. May you remember that praise is good and fitting in every season. Can we learn to praise God even when our hearts are breaking? Can we affirm that God is still God even when we can't see him? May you have eyes to see the Christ who reveals how the telos of a praying life ends up in praise. Not easy, not without a struggle, but praise is where it finally rests.